Welcome to Refall 2021. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. God is consistent and his character, and that's what gives us faith. There's a story in the Bible about Jeremiah, and something was happening. God told Jeremiah to pronounce the desolation of the house of Israel. They had sinned multiple times. So God told them that Israel will be definitely taken into captivity in the land of Babylon. And after Jeremiah shared that word of prophecy, the king then, Zedekiah, locked him up um, in prison. And God sent a word to Jeremiah in prison, saying that he would free Israel again. And to prove that he will free Israel again, he told Jeremiah that, look, your cousin is going to come and he's going to offer you to sell his land. And he says, when he comes to you to sell his land, please buy it. You know, and true to the word of the Lord, his cousin came to try and sell his land to him. Now, this is a this is not really a wise time to buy land. Because imagine Nigeria is at is, is being surrounded. There was a siege going on. The Babylonian Babylonians had surrounded Israel. And there was a siege going on. So it's not a real good time to buy real estate. Only a crazy person would want to buy real estate at that time because it's just like them saying they want to bomb a place. You know, I want to buy land in that place. So Jeremiah was like, God, what do you mean by this? And God was saying this. He said that, look at the sun, look at the moon, look at the stars, look at their seasons. And he says that, if you see how consistent they are, they get their faithfulness on me. I am more consistent than them. And as far as these seasons remain the same, I assure you that the children of Israel will return back to their promised land. And didn't that happen? Yes, it did. In the day of King Cyrus, after 17 years in captivity, true to the word of the Lord, they came back. The Bible says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utter its speech. Night unto night, they show knowledge. So the sun coming up and going down is declaring to you that God is faithful. The moon coming at the right time is telling you a message that God is faithful. The stars are also telling you that God is faithful. When you see water, whatever you see in all creation, so the book of Romans will tell you that through visible attributes, the visible, the invisible nature of God is clearly seen. So man is without excuse that God is faithful. And I would just like us to sing a song. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never endure to an they are new every morning, new every morning. We say, great is your faithfulness. Oh, Lord, I say, great is your faithfulness. You've been faithful, Lord. 
from the ages past. That is why your name is forevermore. God is a faithful God. Lord, and I pray for everyone on this call, oh Lord. Reveal your faithfulness to us in a new dimension. Let us be as sure as I am sitting on this chair that you are faithful, O oh Lord, that this chair can carry my weight. Let us be even more sure that you are faithful, that you are faithful, that you are faithful, that mercies always spring forth from your, from your face. The psalm says mercy and truth flows from your face. Mercy and truth flows from your face. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Jesus' name, Jesus is faithful. God is faithful. You see, what it means to fear the Lord is to know that, is to know the character of God. That's what the fear of the Lord means. I might not be able to go too deep into details because of time. But that is necessary. That is essentially what the fear of the Lord means. What am I trying to say? For example, the psalmist says in Psalm 130, verse 3 to 4, he says, the Lord, if the Lord, this is one of my favorite scriptures, if the Lord will mark iniquities, who will stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So because there is forgiveness, the forgiveness, the forgiving nature of God, when a man comes to understand the forgiveness of God, he enters into the fear of God. So the psalmist will say, I will come into your house. Psalm 130, verse 3 to 4. The psalmist will say, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy and in fear of you, I will worship. No wonder when Israel and Abraham was carrying Isaac to the mountain, he said, me and the young lad will go to worship and will return to you. So Abraham was going to worship and truly he did worship. And when he tried to kill, and when he tried to sacrifice his son Isaac, God said, stop. He says, now I know that you fear me. Now, if you look at it on the surface level, you think that God is telling Abraham to stop because, oh, I now know you are going to kill your son because of me. But that's not what God is saying. Please listen very, very carefully. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. First, understand the scripture. Hosea chapter 6. Verse 6. chapter 6, verse 6. I can quote it okay. It says this. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than bond offerings. So when you are looking at Abraham going to sacrifice his son, Isaac, that is a bond offering. But what God is saying is that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than bond of things. So what God is looking at in Abraham is actually the knowledge of God. And the book of Hebrews tells us that. That Abraham, when he wanted to go to, to offer Isaac to God, he, there was a logic behind his thinking. He didn't say, God, why am I only son? He wasn't crying. He went there. He said he knew that God was going to raise him from the dead. Abraham had never 
seen resurrection. But he believed in a God that had the ability to raise him from the dead. Once God saw that logic, that knowledge of him in Abraham, he said, Abraham, you fear me. Abraham, you fear me because you know that when I ask you to give me Isaac, you know I have the ability to raise him up from the dead. And you know that I will keep my promise to you, that I promised you that I will bless you. If you look at the culture of the Amorites in those days, their culture was of child sacrifice. Sorry, I'm diverting a bit um, from the topic, but please just permit me to flow in this direction. No, please go ahead. Go ahead. Flow with the Lord. If you look at the culture of the Amorites in those days, or the culture of the Canaanites, their culture was child sacrifice. So all around Abraham, where he was living, they were sacrificing their children. Please note that. For confirmation of this, you can check Deuteronomy chapter 12. You can check Deuteronomy chapter 18. No, Deuteronomy chapter 12 or Leviticus chapter 18. Read through it carefully. I read Genesis chapter 15. God, the reason why God told Abraham to wait 400 years, he was like, the iniquity of your Amorites is not yet full. It will take it 400 years to be full. Knowing that God does not judge things immediately. He's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. So even though the Amorites deserve to be judged, he says the iniquity is not yet full. Okay, moving on. So, Abraham was used to child sacrifice. That culture was a child sacrifice. And one of the instructions God gave the Israelites was to destroy that culture of child sacrifice. So when you see God commanding Joshua and Moses and impassive commanding to Joshua, he said, you should destroy all the Canaanites. You should destroy them. Why? He tells you in Deuteronomy chapter 12, because they sacrifice their children and they make their children born in the fire. You know, and obviously other sexual kinds of immorality that these people are doing. So the glory or the wisdom or the faith of Abraham is not in the weight of his sacrifice, but in his knowledge of God. We hear of stories about witches being forced to sacrifice their seven children, yet they are not going to get any reward for that. God is going to punish them for what they have done. One of the reasons why the Israelites were sent out of the promised land was child sacrifice. So Abraham knew that this God that had called me to bless me, even if he makes me sacrifice my child because he was ready to do it, he will raise this child from the dead. Because what? I was 100 years old. I, had, I did not have the capacity for life. And this God, who is a life-giving spirit, gave me life. This is what it truly means to fear God. It means to have a knowledge of God that is correct, that is true. So when you see a man giving an offering, like I tell you, I emptied my bank account and I gave it to a church. Like I've said, God is, is not really interested in the sacrifice. He's interested in the knowledge of God. So Paul in Corinthians says that God loves a cheerful giver whose delight, his heart is in his giving. Why? Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 tells you God is able to make and supply so much God can supply so much of your needs. So my needs are met so I can give as much as I can. I know God is a generous God. That he gave me his only begotten son. So because I have that knowledge of him, I'm also generous. So the boast is not in the sacrifice. The boast is in the knowledge of God. When you exalt sacrifice over the knowledge of God, you become a Pharisee. I'm going to repeat that one more time. When you exalt sacrifice over the knowledge of God, you become a Pharisee. 
Let's check this in Psalm chapter 51. David had just um, finished sleeping with, um, David had committed a grievous sin. You know, we all know what happened. He slept with Uriah's and um, with Bathsheba. And <laughs> that was disastrous. If you read the Bible carefully, Uriah was a nobleman. And he was not only a nobleman, he was a faithful man. And he wasn't only a faithful man, he was one of the 30 mighty men of David. So David had committed something so grievous. But see what David is saying um, in Psalm 51. He's saying, um, okay, Psalm 51 verse 16. See, Psalm 51 verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I will give it to you. Nor do you delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. God is interested in the way you think about him. God is interested in the knowledge of him. God has not called you to give him something from you. He has come to, how I say it? God has called you to sacrifice from his knowledge, basically. Um, he says, for the sacrifices of, of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offerings, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. So sometimes you think that God is um, <laughs> double-minded. God will say in one chapter, he doesn't delight in sacrifices. Then God will say that, oh, you robbed me of titan offerings. No, God is saying the same thing. He wants sacrifice and the foundation, of, he wants the knowledge of God. And out of the knowledge of God, you'll be able to offer genuine sacrifice to God. That is why Romans 12, chapter 2, it says, do not be conformed. No, uh, what does Romans say? Please, don't let me misquote. Romans chapter 12. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is how you present your body. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The sacrifice God wants you to know is him. The sacrifice God wants you to have is his knowledge. This is why, this is the difference between Martha and Mary. Mary was trying to do a lot of things from God. Uh, and Martha was trying to do a lot of things from God, and Mary just settled down and listen to him. And when she listened to him, she gained understanding. And that understanding made her know God more. And he says, that thing that you have gained cannot be taken away from me. I hope you're following. Um, so on to what I'm going to talk about today, please. Um, it's just going to be a flow. Um, so God is interested in his knowledge. And the agenda of God from the beginning of creation till now has been the same. He wants the earth to be filled with his knowledge. The Bible, the, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11. I'm sorry, I'm not using an electronic Bible, so I might be this one. Scripture. So Isaiah chapter 11, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11, 
Verse. Yes, verse nine. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. So if you read Isaiah chapter 11, because of time, I might not be able to go through it. It's telling God's plans for humanity. And in that, in that um, plan, you see that the lion is walking with the sheep and nobody's eating each other. Um, everybody's supplying life to each other. The child is putting his hand in the, in the den of the asp and he doesn't bite him, you know. Um, um, so let me just start from verse six. The wolf shall all, also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. The wind child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. For all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So Isaiah is telling you a prophetic, he's giving you a prophetic scripture of, um, how will I say it, of God's idea for humanity. And he's saying that the perfect will of God in humanity is seen when his knowledge covers the earth as the waters covers the sea. Habakkuk also repeats this, um, I can't really find the scripture, but it, it says like when the knowledge of God covers the earth as the waters covers the sea. So basically, what God wants to do is that he wants everyone to have his knowledge. He wants his knowledge to cover the earth. And there's a reason why he has that. <clears throat> when God created man, he created him in his image and in his likeness. Now, this is very important. An image does not exist on its own. An image is connected to the source. So what you're seeing now um, by the technology of the camera is my image, you know, but the reason you're seeing that image is because of me. I am the origin of that image. Man was never created to be the origin of something. It was created to be an image of God. Now, this is very important. And how man was effectively going to be in the image of God was that he will con be connected to God by his spirit. So when God created man, he breathed life into him. That life was his spirit. And that life was the connecting force between God and man. And through that life, man was, it was meant to subdue the world, was meant to dominate the world and spread the knowledge of God throughout the world. And the earth would be filled with the knowledge of God because of that. John chapter 17, verse 3. Let's go there um, quickly, please. John 17, verse 3. It says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what, what the life that was in Adam, which was eternal life, was the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Christ. And by this, Adam was, um, Adam was meant to subdue the world. He was meant to dominate the world and spread the influence of God throughout creation. But what happened was that although the seed of the life of God was planted in man, an enemy came. And what the enemy did was that he, he caused man to disobey God. And the day man did that, man died. Now, death as we all know, or as most of us 
Is it just okay? All right, okay. great. Death is not when you stop living in this physical realm. Death is separation from God. Death is separation from God. The knowledge of God is eternal life. And when someone does not have the knowledge of God, that man is dead. So what died in Adam was the knowledge of God. And this links to the story of the parables that Jesus was saying. He said that a swath goes to the field to sow seeds, you know, and it, it tells you processes that happen to those seeds. One, um, what I, one that I will explain is that the seed is sown into the heart of a man and the man doesn't understand it. And because he doesn't understand what he has heard, which is the word of God, a bed comes and he picks it up. And the Bible in explaining tells us that that bed was the evil one. When you take that parable, because when you read Matthew chapter 13, we might not be able to go there, sorry, because of time. It tells us that Jesus spoke in parables to reveal secrets that were in the foundation of the world. When you hold that parable and you go back to the book of Genesis chapter, um, when you go back to the book of Genesis chapter three, what happened to Eve was that the bed, which was the enemy came and he stole the life of God that was in Eve. He picked it off. And this gives, brings us to a crucial point of understanding. We, there's a calling to understand the life of God that we carry. Because if not, we are susceptible to stealing. And one of the ways we, on, we begin understanding is by spending time with the word of God. Now, a crucial thing is also explained there. The swan went and he went to sow seeds. Seeds are not meant for display. Seeds are meant to be buried. Seeds are not meant for display. Seeds are meant to be buried. So firstly, when you receive the word of God, the first, of the, thing, the first thing we do is that we hide the word of God in our hearts. So the psalmist says that your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Now, immediately the serpent came to Eve. She was so quick to reveal the word of God to the serpent. She was so quick to reveal it. She didn't hide it in her heart. If you look at the book of Luke carefully, when Elizabeth and Mary received the prophetic word, the Bible says, and they kept it in their hearts. They thought about it. They meditated about it. They imagined it. They ruminated it. They, they, they were not so quick to, I, I don't know, they were not so quick to, they, what I'm just trying to say is that what you first do to a seed is to hide it, you know? And when this was not done, the life of God was stolen from Eve. And what happened was that, the enemy sowed another seed into man. The enemy sowed another seed into man. So the Bible talks about a, a parable of a man that sowed wheat in his field, but while he slept, but while men slept, and if another enemy came and sowed tears into the field. So what happened was that the enemy removed the seed of God in her and he started sowing another seed in her. Like I was saying, um, going back a bit, Man was created to be the image of God. That means God was his origin. God was his source and he was an image. And the link between them was the knowledge of God. The link between them was the life of God that they shared. The link between them was the spirit of God. Now, when the enemy came, what the enemy came was, what the enemy did was that that link was severed and the enemy himself became the source of man. So the devil was the origin and man became in the image of the devil. This is what it means to be a beast. This is what the mark of the beast actually means. So the humanity that was first started in the Garden of Eden and the humanity that left the Garden of Eden 
are two different kinds of beings. One entered, the, one was planted in, in the garden as, as a living man, and the one left as a dead being. Please note that. And what we are seeing in this world currently, the way this world structure has been, that's why the enemy is called the God of this world, is, it, is dead humanity. I'm going to show you a mystery. Let's go to the book of Genesis. I don't think it's a mystery. Sorry, I'm going, but I'm going to show you something that you might not know. To show you that the... I'll, I might not be able to say this now, but when you go back, read Genesis chapter 3, and look at each behavior of Adam and Eve after they had the tree. Any behavior you see there is the behavior of the evil one, is the behavior of the devil. So let's see um, one, one let's, let's, let's um, read a, um, a part. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord from the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? When did you get that information from? Because before it was only me that was giving information. I was your source and you were my image. So who has become your source, Adam? So he said, I've heard your voice in the garden. Um, he said, have you eaten from the tree which I've commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Then the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, this is the mystery I wanted to show, I wanted to, to talk about. When God Adam asked Adam what happened, he passed the blame to the woman. Then the woman passed the blame to the serpent. It might look normal, but actually, they are tracing the source. They are tracing who their source is. So God asks the man, and the man accused the woman. God asks the woman, and the woman accused the serpent. And shall I tell you something? The serpent is the accuser of brethren. The character they were displaying was the character of the enemy. It was the character of Satan. Please, this is very key. This is very crucial to know. It was the character of Satan that they were displaying. And that is why, in, that's why it says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you look at Jesus throughout scriptures, Jesus wasn't accusing anybody. Jesus wasn't condemning anybody. Jesus had the cap, Jesus lived a, a, because accusation and condemnation comes from a place of lack and scarcity. If you steal my 500 naira and I don't have 500 naira again, you know, if, if, you, if I take your 500 naira and you come back to me and I don't have 500 naira again, all you have to do is to accuse me. You know, if you take something that there's, how do I put this? If you, if, if you take something from me that cannot be replaced, all I can do is blame you or accuse you. And that's not the life of God, you know. And that's why the, the, the enemy has been the source of the accusation. You know, is the enemy that brings condemnation. Is the enemy that consistently brings condemnation. But God does not do that. God does not condemn. Yahweh does not condemn. Yahweh does not condemn. Yahweh justifies. He justifies even the ungodly. Okay. Why did I go, go this route? 
The reason why I went this route was to explain something. Man is an image and is connected to a source. That source can either be God or the devil. There are two kinds of wisdom that is available to man, only two, not three, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the devil. Sensual wisdom, James tells us, is devilish wisdom. Why godly wisdom is godly wisdom. So man is created just to receive. Man is created just like an image receives from a source. Man is created to receive. And a man is judged by what he receives or by what he does not receive. What am I trying to say by that? The Bible tells you in the parable of the soil again, that the soil goes to sow seed and scatters them over the ground. What the judgment is not on the kind of seed, seed primarily. The judgment, the judgment is on the soil. The judgment on the soil is on its ability to receive the word of God. The judgment of the soil is about what it chooses to receive, whether it will choose to receive the word of God or it will choose to receive the work, the word of the enemy. Man has been created as a being that receives from an origin. Um, I can't belabor that enough. But moving forward, God wants to spread his knowledge. So we started with the knowledge of God. God wants to spread his knowledge throughout creation. But the enemy, when God was trying to do it, short-circuited that plan and started feeding his own image into man. So man started spreading the image of the devil throughout creation. Man's, man entered partnership with the enemy and started spreading the image of the enemy throughout creation. Um, they started building cities together. You know, when you hear of Babylon, it is a union between man and the enemy. Um, Revelation tells you about the woman that rides upon the beast, and she calls the woman Babylon. It talks about the union of man and, and, and Satan. But not to focus on Satan. So what has God done? God came back again through his son, Jesus Christ, and he came to restore that image that was lost in man through Jesus Christ. He came to plant that seed that was lost in our hearts back again through Jesus Christ. And once he did that, he has now given us a commission to spread his knowledge throughout creation. The Bible says in Corinthians, sorry, just a second. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Sorry, then I'll end with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. From verse 14 to 15. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us to triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us to in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every case. God wants to be known and the people that will make him known is humanity. The, the person that is being known when people don't know God is the devil and he, and he leads them into condemnation. But God wants to choose us as vessels to spread his knowledge throughout creation. You know, um, Let's just begin to ask God for strength. 
Let's just begin to ask God for strength this season, strength to receive the word. The fight of faith is a fight to receive. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God in pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There are some forces in this world that don't want people to know God. There are forces in this world that don't want people to experience God. The Bible says that the God of this world that blinded them. There are forces in this world that doesn't want your sister to know God, that doesn't want your brother to know God, that doesn't want people around you to know God, and wants to also restrict the knowledge of God that is in your life. Let's begin to ask God for strength to receive of him. Let's begin to ask God for strength to receive of him. And let's begin to repent of every idol, of every knowledge that is not of him that we have kept. In Jesus' name we pray. Rounding this off, so God wants us to share his knowledge through our creation. Oh, thank you so much, P.I. Thank you so, so much, P.I. Thank you so much, P.I. So tying this to evangelism now. The reason why I said that is this. What we must evangelize must be the knowledge of God. Like I was saying before, religion exalts sacrifice over the knowledge of God. And the reason why I was emphasizing the knowledge of God is that whatever we share must be his knowledge. Whatever we share must be who he truly is. We must correctly represent him. One of the issues Jesus had with the Pharisees, you know, Jesus and the Pharisees were always at loggerheads. He called them brood of vipers. He said they were of the father, their father, the devil. And one of the issues Jesus had with the Pharisees was that they were blocking people from the knowledge of God. And they were painting God in a very bad light. You know, the Bible says, come unto me, all ye that labor, and I heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you find rest to your souls. Some of those people that were burdened and heavy laden were burdened because of religion. The, in the book of Matthew, Jesus was telling the, um, the Pharisees that you lay weight on the people that you yourself cannot carry. So there's an emphasis that we must spend time with God to actually know him. Then we'll be able to diffuse his knowledge. For example, you are an image. If you do not know God is forgiving, you can't forgive others. The parable of the servant and the king, you know, there was a servant that this king forgave a whole lot of debt that could not forgive his neighbor. The issue was that he did not understand that he was forgiving. You are created to receive. The fight is to receive. You are a soil. You are an image. You are created to receive. And you must receive good things as a good soil. You know, you must receive good things as a good soil. So the issue Jesus had with the Pharisees was that they were sharing things that they're, they're misrepresenting God. And I was saying, you Pharisees, you go, you go to the depths of the earth to win a proselyte. That means to evangelize. And you make him twice the candidate of hell that he was because of the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is so burdensome that even in the church, it fought against the church. It tried to fight against the church. You know, when Paul was coming with the gospel of grace, because the carnal mind cannot understand grace, the carnal mind was created to toil, and the carnal mind takes pride in being a toiler, you know. 
They're saying, how can Gentiles be saved like that? They must circumcise themselves. They must do this. They must do that. They must do that. The spirit of religion, putting a burden on people again. And Paul was very aggressive against this thing. He was saying, who has bewitched you, oh foolish Galatians? You know. So in evangelism, the first thing we must focus on is to receive the knowledge of God, is to receive the knowledge of God. And the evidence that we have received the knowledge of God, please listen to this carefully, is that we share the knowledge of God. The evidence that we receive the knowledge of God, just as the evidence that the seed, um, the soil has received the seed, after a while is that fruits begin to show, is that we begin to share the knowledge of God. So if I know God is merciful, uh, I can say it all I want, but the evidence that I know God is truly merciful is that I am merciful to people. If I know God is forgiving, the Bible says, do not lo love those that hate you. It says, then you'll be like your heavenly father who makes his rain to shine on both the wicked and the righteous. If I know God is like that, I will love people that persecute me. I will love people that are good to me. Then I'm spreading the knowledge of God. It is in these ways I spread the gospel of God through the knowledge of God. I must first receive the knowledge of God. And the evidence that I've received the knowledge of God is that I begin to diffuse and spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God through my environment. Now, a question some, some might ask is this. Uh, ah, maybe that means I'm disqualified from evangelism, man. I don't even know anything about God. No, there's something you know about God. There's something you know about God. There's something God has been revealing to you and you are authorized to share it. The Samaritan woman did not spend 17 weeks waiting. She just had, she just spent a few minutes with Jesus. And once she had a genuine encounter, she was able to share it with those around her. She was able to share it with those around her. And this is how we grow in the knowledge of God. I don't know if this happens to some of you. As you are teaching others, your wisdom increases in the knowledge of God. As you are teaching others, even revelation that you did not know, you begin to have. As you are teaching others, you are even empowered to do more. Because there is a mystery in the kingdom. To whom who has, more will be given to him. And to whom that does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. So the, in, in the world, you save to have. But in the kingdom, we spend to have. So please, you need to, we, 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 we first need to spend time with God to gain the knowledge of God or to recognize the knowledge of God by the spirit of God. Then we diffuse his knowledge. Um, to our locality, you know. On on tips of um, yeah, so that's that on um, gaining knowledge God and sharing it to uh, our community. In this way, we truly represent who God is. In truth, in this way, we truly represent who God is: His nature, His kindness, His forgiveness. You know, we preach who we are. You know. Um, some of the ways some of the ways the apostles preached the gospel was not only in their words, it was in their deeds. So with your words and your deeds, both of them moving together in your lifestyle, you share the knowledge of God in every in every locality. So evangelism is not an event. The, the spreading of the knowledge of God is your life. Because if you're not spreading the knowledge of God, you're spreading the knowledge of something else, you know, and that's the knowledge of the devil. Now, tips on evangelism. The first tip Jesus shows us in the Bible is prayer. He says, pray that laborers, that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the vineyard. That the harvest is plenty, but the laborers 
a few. So we should pray. Now, why are we praying? We are praying to align ourselves to the will of God. We are praying to align ourselves to the will of God because we know God wants his knowledge to be spread across the world. The Bible already tells us in Isaiah chapter 11 that he wants to fill the earth as the water covers the seas. He wants his knowledge to fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. So prayer helps us to align ourselves to the will of God. As it is in heaven, so it is on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants everyone to experience what heaven is experiencing. So we pray. Another reason why we pray is to build sensitivity. This is very important. Agar was with her son, Ishmael, and Ishmael was dying of water. And she prayed and prayed and prayed. And the angel of God opened her eyes to a spring of water that was beside her. The Bible didn't tell us that God created that spring of water. I, I, I perceive it as always been there, but she did not recognize it. Prayer helps us to recognize what the Spirit wants to do. It, it, it helps you to recognize that that Uber ride you are in is not just a regular Uber ride. That it's an opportunity to evangelize. The personal experience is that once, one time, once I started praying, I felt that, oh, God was sending people to me because I was praying prayers that, Lord, send someone to me, send a soul to me today, send a soul to me today. And mysteriously, I believe God sent a soul to me today. Yes, he did it. But actually, God sends souls to us every day. Is the ability to recognize why that person has been sent to you. You see, Elijah was sent to the widow of Zarephath. But, you know, it will look like a casual thing. But Elijah being a man of prayer, recognize the particular widow who was sent to. Prayer helps you. It helps your sensitivity. It helps you to realize that that friend at the workplace is not just a, a regular friend that you're just meant to be gisting with. The friend that you possibly is a friend to evangelize. Secondly, a second tip on evangelism is when you look at the scriptures, when Jesus was calling Peter and um, um, the disciples, we know that um, Andrew first met Jesus. That's in the Gospel of John. And Andrew went to call John. We know that um, Andrew went to call Peter. I mean. We know that John and James were brothers and they were called together. We know that Jesus also met Philip and Philip went to call Nathaniel. So six out of the 12 disciples were from close relations. So I think that is a powerful way to evangelize. Was for, were from relationships that were close to them. They were not, God did not send, um, Peter did not have to go to um, Kafanchan to look for, his brother was there, you know. And we only know, I think, the history of seven. It's only Matthew we know that he was called alone as an apostle. So six, actually, we don't know this. So six out of half of Jesus' disciples were from relationships that were within them. And Jesus himself, when he wanted to evangelize to the whole world, he came for the whole world, but he stayed within the locality of the lost sheep of Israel. Please, I'm not giving this as a rule or as a guide. That would be religious. But I've seen the work of the Spirit that's, that when he was even sending the apostles or the disciples, he says, go to Jerusalem, their locality, to Judea, to Samaria, there's an expansion, then to the rest of the world. Why? Because God starts little. He says, "Those though your beginning may be small, your latter will be greatly increased. He says, do not despise little beginnings. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Once it is planted, it is the smallest of seeds. But once it's planted, it grows to be the largest of trees. So what am I saying? Sometimes you feel that, oh, there's no one to evangelize to. 
Because sometimes the house up in your house, our soul is as valuable to God as Dangote's soul. Sometimes that little child that came to stay with you too, it's that security guard, his soul is so valuable to God. God says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? That is the value system of God. So once God sees a soul, he equates the soul to be greater in value than the whole world. So ask the spirit. The spirit will teach you. The spirit will help you. There are souls around you. It's not, don't make it, rely on the strength of the spirit. That's just what I wanted to say. Rely on the strength of the spirit. The rely on the strength of the spirit. You open your heart. You open your eyes to opportunities around you. Secondly, or maybe thirdly, another thing to know is because because you are in the will of God, there are heavenly resources that are deployed to you. There are heavenly resources that are deployed to you. What does that mean? Because God will not give you, will not send you to a place without giving you official, um, official, um, the official backing, you know, to do that. That's why when you get employed, be an official kind of stuff like that. Angels have been deployed to help you because you are in the will of God. There's nobody God does not want saved. The Bible says that um, God is not slow as some of you think, but he's merciful and long-suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He breaks the heart of God when any of his, any, any of his potential children perishes. You know, So be, know that you're in the agenda of God. Know you're in the will of God. Sometimes, because I'm, I can be very shy, God has taken that away from me. You know, But sometimes I just, because... Sometimes what, what stops me from evangelizing is self, you know, oh, the, my pride self, thinking about myself and stuff like that. But sometimes what the Holy Spirit, what, what the Holy Spirit helps me to do is to tune myself, to not focus on myself, but to focus on God. Like, oh, God, I know you want to touch this person. God, I know you want to heal this person. Lord, I know you want to save this person. Wow, this person will have been an addiction. Lord, I know you want to break this addiction. Wow. Then after I think about God, sometimes I, compassion now begins to birth in me for that person. Lord, ah, so if this person doesn't know you, all the sweet forgiveness that I've been enjoying, this person will be able to enjoy it. Through that boldness comes within me to, to evangelize the world. Another thing that builds boldness, obviously, is prayer. That's one, one tip that, um, that the, the apostle shows. Lastly, Ephesians 6 tells us this. He says that we should prepare our feet. We should clad our feet. We should prepare our feet um, I can't quote the verbatim, but he's saying that your feet should be prepared with the gospel of peace. Prepare your feet. I'm going to walk today. I'm going to ensure I wear shoes. It's not going to be haphazard. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be intentional. Nobody wears their shoe to walk by mistake. It is part of our armor. Nobody forgets their shoe when they are going to battle. So it's something that you build in your consciousness, knowing that God wants you to spread this fragrance. Thank you so much. And um, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, so um, I think um, I'm going to stop here. Um, but just know that you're supported. Just know God helps you. Just know that um, boasting your weakness. Sometimes, um, <laughs> don't let me see what I wanted to say. Sometimes God loves choosing scared people. Because in that, his glory is clearly seen. When he sees Gideon, Gideon has a lot of fear. So he, he knows that the boldness or the bojo he has is not from himself, it's from God. You know, sometimes so little in his own eyes. So God could exalt him. 
So you will know that he should have known that the exaltation to be a king was came from God. Sometimes when you are too full of yourself, there's no space for the spirit to fill you up. So the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, it says, let not the rich grow in his riches, nor the wise grow in his wisdom, or the man of skill grow in his skill. But anyone who glories, let him glory in this, that he knows God, that he knows God, that he knows God. Sometimes, please, I'll truly end with this. I'll truly end with this. I think it's so much, I think it's so important for us to know that God is all powerful. And sometimes God will attack what you deem as your confidence to ensure that the confidence you have is only in him. What am I saying? Moses was a great man. A great man of, he was a great man. We, we heard that Moses was a stammer, but the book of Acts was told, tells us that Moses was mighty in speech and indeed. Moses was not born in Stamera. He was a mighty man in Egypt. And we would think that God would want to use his might to save the whole of Israel. We think that God would want to use his background, his affluence to save the whole of Israel. But that is thinking carnally. That is thinking carnally. Thinking you need to be an MD of the company to bring salvation into the company. It is possible. God can choose to do that. But God doesn't necessarily need to do that. He doesn't necessarily need to do that. He did that with Joseph. And Moses might have thought that God would take the same route. But do you know the route God took? Yes, Moses, they chose not to accept Moses. He was sent to Midian. And for 40 years, Moses, that was a prince, was under his father-in-law, tending a few sheep. And by the time God found Moses, Moses' confidence in himself was broken. He had low self-esteem to the, to the least. He was a stammerer. That's why when the Bible, when Moses was saying he's the meekest of all men, he truly was the meekest of all men in his time. Why? He was humbled. His skill was not used. And when God started using him, what did God use? All his education in Egypt was in his was in your hand, a rod. That's what God used. So please put confidence in God, even in evangelism. Don't put confidence in your oratory gift. Put your confidence in God. Let your boast be in God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon on the referral series. This sermon is available on YouTube and all podcast platforms. For more information and other resources, visit www.emissiowolabi.com.